I'm Dr. Sheldon L. Akins from the Leading Equity Podcast and a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. It was frustrating to become this dean and just suspend kids left and right and to realize that what I was doing wasn't really changing these kids' lives at all. Welcome back for another episode of the Leader of Learning podcast, the show where educators can come find inspiration to transform education through effective leadership. I'm your host, Dan Krinas. Let's get started. Leader of Learning, welcome back once again as we are plugging right along here in 2020, coming out with new episodes every single week. This episode is going to follow suit with a great guest. This week I have Joshua Stamper, who is, and I believe I got the name of the podcast a little wrong in our interview, but he is the host of the Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast. If you're not already subscribed to that podcast, I highly suggest that you tune in. Joshua is not only a great podcaster and a great education leader, he's also become quite an expert in trauma-informed practices, both leadership practices and instructional practices. And in this interview, Joshua really opens up about why he's so passionate about that topic of being trauma-informed. And it has a lot to do with the fact that his own family looks very different from many families. He and his wife have five total children in their family, two are their biological children, and three are adopted. They were once foster children who Joshua and his wife have now adopted as their own. And so he, his wife, and his whole family really take a different look and put a different spin on how trauma impacts children and students, and also what we as educators, leaders, or in his case, family members might need to do to really support anyone who has gone through some sort of trauma in their life. Here is my interview with Joshua Stamper. All right, guys, a great guest in this episode, a fellow podcaster, a fellow uh, educational leadership podcaster. And, And this is what I love about having podcast friends. It's not about competing. I think both of our shows tend to talk about some similar topics, uh, and that's okay because uh, I'm happy to welcome on Joshua Stamper, who is the host of the Aspiring Leadership Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. If you could, before we even get started here, just introduce yourself and tell the listeners who you are, where you are, and what you do. Yeah. So my name is Joshua Stamper. I'm an administrator at a middle school in North Texas. And then in addition, like you said, I'm the host and creator of Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast. And I just love the opportunity to share knowledge out to some listeners for those who are looking to better themselves and and grow professionally. Awesome. Thanks for that. And, um, you know, I I often wait till toward the end of the episode to kind of bring in uh, projects and things that people want to feature. But let's talk about the podcast first and foremost, um, because I know I've enjoyed listening to it. And as an educational leader and instructional leader that I like to think of myself as, uh, I've gained a lot of inspiration from it. Uh, If you could talk about the podcast a little bit, how'd you get into it? And, uh, you know, kind of what what niche are you looking to serve with it? Sure. So a couple years back, I had an opportunity to be a creator of a cohort for on the west side of my district. It was a project to help aspiring leaders to figure out where they wanted to go beyond the classroom. 
And it was a really fun project because we got to give these folks about six different sessions throughout the year, full day, to get out of their classroom, go visit different campuses, and then hear different leaders within the district level to kind of give them guidance and wisdom as to where they want to go. And it wasn't just for administration. It was for counseling. It was for instructional coaches and just really trying to open the doors and say, what is it that you want to do outside of the role that you're currently in? And it was such a fun project. And we we got to do that for multiple years, but it was so successful that the district actually took it over and then created it just for aspiring administrators. And because that was taken away, I felt a longing to continue to find ways to help um, those who want to expand their leadership. So I created a program for the district, just a one night event. Didn't really get an opportunity to advertise it too much, but I had like 175 people show up and it was like on a Thursday night and they were just longing for more information. And I started to look around and we had a pretty big district, but still like 175 folks just wanting more and more information about how to become a leader. It was evident that if this is just one district, what does that look like around the country? What does that look like around the world? And I was still looking for some way to get information out and to help people. And so talking with a couple of buddies, Jeff Veal, one of the creators of Lead Up Chat, and then also Ted, uh, Todd Nesloni, the author of Kids Deserve It, or co-author of Kids Deserve It, they both were big inspirations as far as what to do. Um, and I used their guidance to, to say, okay, let's create a podcast. So um, that's kind of the origin story of, of Aspire. And obviously the name was because I don't want to just focus on administration. I want to give everyone the opportunity to learn from so many different professions out there and to allow people to gain more insight on how to improve themselves. That's awesome. Obviously, uh, no surprise or no secret to the listeners of, of this show. Uh, I have the same sort of mission. And and I say at the end of every episode, no matter who you are or where you are, you too can be a leader of learning. And, and I mean that, you know, like you said, it's not just about school administrators. There are so many educational leaders out there and, and in so many different positions as well. I guess one of the things uh, that I was wondering about while you were speaking, especially about the opportunity you spoke of in your district, was that sort of like the moment where you sort of realized your own leadership potential in terms of how you might impact other educators? Or if not, what was that moment for you? Yeah, that event was pretty impactful for me because I had put a lot of work into it, but I didn't know how it was going to go. I think Anyone that's like created a conference or something like that where you're you're trying to um, put something on to share information and when it does well, I think you always you know see the benefits of your hard work. So I think yeah, that was definitely a turning point for me. Um, I had another couple opportunities that same year as far as speaking um, and sharing some inspirational stories of, of from my own experience and and there was good feedback from there. So I think just professionally, that was kind of a, a stage that I was able to kind of expand my voice and. Um, kind of see where I could go with that. That was also a time when I was building my PLN on Twitter and some other social media outlets that, um, you know, I got to guest blog and kind of some other things that I'd never really had an experience on. So um, I think that was definitely a year where I got to kind of go outside of my campus, outside of my district and, and connect with a whole host of people. I was also wondering, and I don't know how many people know this about you. And I, I think it's interesting that I feel like you don't hear every day about teachers who were in a related arts kind of role. Um, you know, you're, you're not so typical mainstream content areas. You started as a classroom teacher, as an art teacher, correct? 
Yeah, that's correct. So I'm wondering if um, if you could speak to that transition that you made from and and not trying to put down or offend um, no. related arts teachers or elective area teachers in any sort of way. I'm actually, I don't know if a lot of people know this about me. I'm a certified music teacher myself, and, but I don't think it's sort of your traditional path, so to speak. So I'm wondering if you could uh, kind of touch on that, that transition from a non-core subject to this leadership position that you have. Yeah, I definitely broke the mold. Um, I also was a, a coach in addition to being an art teacher. So even that alone was was something interesting and not often done. Um, but yeah, for an art teacher to become an administrator, that's, there's not very many folks out there that I've met um, that have, have done that. So I definitely had to break the stigma as far as what that looked like because when, uh, and I'll be frank here and honest as far as my interview with, you know, the panel to, to get into the pool for administration, that was a big thing as far as questioning. Um, not that they were trying to be biased, but it was, they, they also knew it was a different content area and they wanted to make sure that I was able to be an instructional leader um, and I was able to get into classrooms and, and be able to provide the correct information to, to better the teachers on my campus. So um, that was definitely a, a, a point of emphasis in my interview as far as trying to prove that I was a, uh, an instructional leader and that I knew what I was talking about. So um, as far as an art teacher, though, you know, my, my point was good teaching is good teaching. doesn't matter the subject matter. And so I was able to kind of talk on that and my own experiences of what I was doing in the classroom. And then I also had to really prove like what, how I was able to get out of my art classroom and how it was affecting the campus, how I was being a leader, um, again, on the campus level. But then I also had to prove like I was doing things outside of the, uh, my campus onto the district, that I was an influencer um, beyond my four walls. And so um, my first time that I went through the process, I actually didn't make it into the pool. And I really had to come back and reflect on what was it that I was talking about. And what I realized was when I came to the table, I was talking about things that I would do instead of these are the things I did. And so thankfully, I had a wonderful mentor who was able to kind of reflect with me about my answers and, and my experiences and trying to expand that. And so that way, the second time, the next year, when I went and did the process again, when I came to the table, it was very pointed as far as these are the things I've done. And this is how I affect other people. I think that's an awesome point, you know, from someone who has also been on on that side of the interview table and, and looking for opportunities in leadership and in administration, that's something that I've realized along the way as well is uh, you can't really talk about what you will do or, or should do. Um, it's more about like what you have done that you will be able to bring with you to this new opportunity to um, you know, be not only continue to be successful, but how you can um, take that organization and, and really move it to the next level, I suppose. So I think that's great advice, actually. I know that uh, in terms of your leadership, and, and I know that what you speak about when you're uh, doing conference sessions and uh, a, a little bit here and there on your own podcast, but as a guest on other shows, you talk about how uh, in your role at your school and, and in your leadership, a lot of what you like to focus on is this idea of restorative practices. And, and I feel like we've talked about that a little bit on this show, but to take it to be more specific, um, really delving into these trauma-informed practices. So kind of taking restorative practices almost to the next level. Can you speak about that a little bit? Um, you know, what it is and, and how you do that, how you bring it into your, you know, your sort of day-to-day -day leadership practices? Yeah. So just to give you a backstory, um, my wife and I have been foster parents for six years and um, had the pleasure of, of adopting three of our five placements that were in our home. 
And so I've got five kids, two biological and three adopted. And so as foster parents, we were able to go through, I mean, we had to, it was mandatory, but everyone goes through these different types of trainings to to learn about trauma-informed fracks. And so with that, um, we got to learn um, through Professor Purvis at um, TCU. And she has just this amazing program that talks about the brain and how trauma affects everyone as far as their physical development. And trauma can look a lot of different ways. It could be um, abusive verbally or physically. It could be neglect, which is actually probably one of the most common forms of trauma. And then, of course, there's the trauma that we don't even see, which happens in utero and how our chromosomes are actually changed because of things that are introduced to our bodies or the mother's body um, at the time of conception. So um, we've seen that firsthand with, with our children. Um, but then going through all of these different books that we read and trainings that we went through, it changed my perspective completely. And this was actually at a time when I was promoted to be a dean of students and I was working at a Title I school and it was very traditional in practices, and we were suspending kids left and right every day, um, sending them home to a you know, drug-infested environment and gangs and violence, and just a lot of different things. And it was frustrating to become this dean and just suspend kids left and right and see fights and all these different things and realize that what I was doing wasn't really changing these, these kids' lives at all. And then going through the foster care training and realizing what the trauma is doing to their brains and why they're having um, social negative interactions, I just realized I had to change something. And that's kind of where the restorative practices came in and trying to find a way to teach our students how um, to work through adversity instead of just punishing. Because a lot of it was just like, oh, they did something wrong, punish them. And that was the mindset. And that wasn't changing anything. It wasn't changing their behavior. It wasn't changing the environment. It wasn't restoring relationships. It wasn't restoring the issues that were occurring on the campus. And so um, I was promoted to be an assistant principal. And at my new campus, it was kind of the same situation as far as the discipline. And I was just really challenged to go through and, and reconstruct what we did. And so we were we broke it down as far as looking at discipline in tiers. So tier one, tier two, tier three. Obviously, tier one was like low level stuff, things that could be handled in the classroom, trying to empower the teachers. And then finding ways to um, bring in like restorative and trauma um, practices. So how can we allow students to have more control over things? Um, that's a big thing. Um, trying to find ways for our students to know exactly what their environment is going to be. So repetition. Um, that way they can come into the classroom and feel safe. Um, finding flexible seating. Finding places where you know some kids need to feel secluded and in tight spaces. You know we give them a cool down spot in a room. So things like that. Trying to go beyond just traditional practices of what that looks like. First of all, I really appreciate, I want to thank you for, um, you know, bringing up that story of your family. You know, I knew that about you. I wasn't sure whether or not I should ask, but uh, I'm really glad you mentioned that, how uh, your family looks a little different, but that has allowed you to to take a look at, you know, being trauma-informed a little bit differently and how to really work with uh, students and, and, and children of, of all ages and, and in any kind of setting um, differently according to what, what kind of background they've uh, been raised in and, and what kind of environment they grew up in. Uh, I guess that leads me to an interesting question. I, I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but I know it exists. And so I guess I'm wondering, like, what would you say to those teachers who feel like then restorative practices or, or being trauma-informed may cause some, um, I guess, inequity or, or uh, you know, unequal 
quote unquote discipline practices where potentially students may be getting treated differently according to the situation? Um, well, I mean, the, the way that it's set up, it's, it's pretty much by a case-by-case basis. One fight doesn't equal another fight. Um, someone stealing something is going to be different than you know some, some other type of discipline. So we try and break it down so it's, it's fitting the mold of the child and, and their needs. So it's not a cookie cutter model. Yeah. So I, I guess that's my question. Like what, what if teachers want that? What if they're used to that? What if they're comfortable with it? Let's say a, oh, a teacher who's been teaching 20 years. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, how do you, how do you go about, you know, sort of, um, I don't know, breaking down the, those barriers and, sure. and easing their, easing them into really understanding that this is more, more just and, and more correct in, in right. terms of how students need to develop. Yeah. So there's, there's the whole teaching piece there that goes with that. I think a lot of times there's just an assumption that our children are coming into our schools knowing how to act and knowing how to work through different situations. And we can't assume that. And there's a statistic that came out and I, I apologize. I think the company is called Echo um, that's said, you know, like 60% of all students have some form of trauma. And I mean, that's a staggering number and that, that number is only going higher. So what I try and teach my staff is that when you have an interaction with a child, your assumption needs to be that there's some form of trauma that's occurring in their life. And if you have that mindset, then the conversation that you have, you're going to be using the correct strategies. If you come up to a student and you start yelling at them, obviously, <laughs> that's probably going to go sideways pretty fast. And if there's a child with trauma in their life, it's going to be a negative interaction. It's going to be something where the child is mirroring what they're, what they're getting. So um, a lot of it is just teach, teach, teach about, you know, how even just even the simplest things of kids running in the hallway, how are you addressing that? And how are you doing it in a way that's not going to escalate the situation? Because so many times I think it's just, oh, this kid knows what they're supposed to be doing. They also know how they should interact with the adult. They should also know how um, to make sure that they're responding in the correct way. And we can't assume that. We, we need to make sure that we're always assuming that there's some, probably some negative form of trauma that's occurring in their class or in their home life. And we have to go through and make sure that we're using our correct strategies to make sure that we're not only teaching, but also modeling the behavior that we want to see. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that, you know, I'm a very big believer in, in what you said in terms of like, we can't assume anything uh, about students. You know, I think you and I are both at a middle school level. And when, when the students at that age are starting to physically grow into what looks to be an adult-like body, you, it's easy to think that, yes, they should know better. Yes, they should have learned how to, like you said, how to move through the hallways appropriately or how to speak to teachers and especially other students appropriately. They, they might not have learned that. You can't assume that. No. Um, I actually just had a, I don't know, I think I had a conversation, but it was based on a, another podcast that I listened to that was talking about essentially how students nowadays are interacting and they are being social on social media and and maybe even more specifically video games the yep. problem sometimes is that it's difficult for them to separate out how they should be approaching socialization on those types of media and then in the real world so to speak in school sure. uh, and i think that that that's important to remember as well is that sometimes you can't assume that just because uh, students are acting one way on social media that, uh, you know, they know how to act any other way, let's say in the real world. Right. Yeah. Especially in the, 
you know, human to human and the nonverbal. And there's so many ways of communicating that, that we have to teach our kids. If sometimes they don't even, you know, at the middle school level, especially they don't even know how they're looking, like how their face looks as far as their nonverbals or their body language. And and for a teacher, we're super hypersensitive about all those things. So sometimes I even in my office, you know, I'll bring a kid in and I'll actually model their nonverbals back to them and start talking through what each thing is and what you're communicating to me by doing that. And I can't tell you how many times they're just shocked by what I'm telling them as far as how I'm reading their body, how am I, how am I reading their face. And that's just a lesson that doesn't really occur too often. And so, again, we can't assume that they, they know, one, how to verbally communicate, but then also communicate nonverbally. Yeah, I'm actually remembering a story from uh, just about this time last year, and and I was in a role that was not really, I I was an administrator, but it was very instructional, instructionally focused, and um, I wasn't really dealing with students and and discipline, and and I wasn't a dean of students, but uh, I was working with a student who admitted to me that even though she was having lots of trouble in her classes and, and getting kicked out of class and getting into trouble, um, that a lot of that did stem from the fact that she had trauma in her life, uh, had pretty much all of her family who were gang members and that, and that she did not want to be part of it. And, um, I was trying in some small sort of way because that wasn't really my role, um, to try and work with her and have her realize what it was she was doing and what maybe she thought she needed to do differently to outwardly show that because in, you know, Inwardly, um, she knew that she wanted to change, that she didn't want to be this kind of student that got kicked out of class and that essentially just wasn't well regarded by even her teachers and certainly the other students. But I I don't really think she knew any other way. That's just kind of how she was raised. And yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's sad. And um, but like you said, you can't just assume that this is a bad kid or this kid doesn't respect me or they just want to cause trouble. It might not be that way. It probably is not that way. No. And if you look at behavior as a form of communication, then it changes your perspective completely. So I'll give you an example. I had just two days ago, last day of the semester, I had a girl, she has, she's an A and B student. Um, but for whatever reason, one day her essays do, she's like, no, I don't care about it. Well, you know, we could have easily failed her for the semester or, for the grading period, but instead we took time to actually try and dive in and say, okay, what's going on? Of course, there's something much greater that's going on at home, which was the result of her non-compliance. But if we would have just said, oh, she's just you know being a punk, <laughs> let's fail her. Well, that wouldn't have done anything as far as getting to the, the root of the problem, which is, okay, this behavior is communicating something that's going on much greater and a deeper level than at school. I really get a lot out of this conversation in terms of talking about trauma-informed practices and how to really work with those students who um, are, for lack of a better term, challenging, mm-hmm. but who also have potential, oh, you know, and, yeah. and really, you know, really every student has the potential. It's just a matter of, of not just tapping into it, but but really being able to pull it out of them. And sometimes pulling that out of them means having to uh, minimize the distractions. And as you've said before, and I'll repeat, like really teach them the right way to go about doing whatever it is that they need to be doing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, before we wrap up here, as much as I uh, can continue to talk about this trauma-informed topic more, um, we are kind of running out of time here. Any advice 
you know, you have the Aspire Leadership Podcast. Uh, you are in an administrative role. You are absolutely an instructional leader. And as I like to say, of course, a leader of learning. Any advice for educators out there who might be looking to aspire to more? See what I did there? Uh, to <laughs> aspire to more, you know, in their own careers and, and just as an educator in general? Sure. So one thing that I'm very passionate about is mentorship. I think you should always find someone um, that can give you guidance. And that doesn't have to be someone that's been in the profession for 30 years. It could be someone that's in the same line as far as you professionally, just someone that can help guide you, be a, um, a soundboard for you. Um, but of course, anyone that's in a position that you are seeking for, you know, find someone. At one point I had, I think, three mentors in a year. Um, at different levels, at different stages of their career. And the reason I did that was just to get more information to, to help me as far as my journey, because I didn't really know which direction I wanted to go. The second part of that is to get connected in some way with a network. So that could be a network in person, or that could be on social media. Um, social media, of course, is so many different ways on um, Twitter or Facebook. Um, on Voxer is a huge piece for me. I'm in several Voxer groups and um, those are wonderful as far as um, gaining more information and trying to figure out, you know, what that looks like. And that could be in the professional realm or for us, like for, as podcasters, you know, we've we've got a group too. And um, whatever it is that you're passionate about, just try and find connections to, to gain more insight and information. Excellent advice. I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, I say that all the time. Get connected and, and find your path by connecting with the right people and, and just seeking resources and opportunities that will get you to wherever it is that you want to go. Josh, I really appreciate your time. Uh, you mentioned, uh, again, the podcasting and, and your podcast. Uh, if you could just let everybody know where they can find that and how they can connect with you, speaking of connecting, out there on social media. Yeah, on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm Joshua double underscore Stamper. And then you can find my podcast on any platform, podcast platform, or on my website at joshstamper.com. Hey, man, great stuff. Uh, listen, this episode won't be out for a little while, but I want to wish you and your family happy holidays. And uh, thank you so much for your time. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk soon, but I really appreciate you giving us this opportunity to hear from you on the podcast. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on, Dan. Thanks once again to Joshua Stamper for coming on and being a guest here on this episode of the Leader of Learning podcast. You know, if you're like me, you can think of so many times when you've dealt with students in schools or even teachers, if you're in a leadership role, where something they've said or maybe something you've said has triggered in your mind the fact that this person is really dealing with something heavy. And maybe we need to step back and think about not only how they're feeling, but how we might be able to best support them through that trauma or that difficult time or that difficult situation that they're in. I can vividly remember a conversation I had with a student who was misbehaving in class and I needed to remove him from the classroom. And I'll never forget that it was right around Christmas time. And when I asked him what he and his family do for Christmas and something about getting presents, he said, no, my mom really can't afford presents and we don't really do much. And it was definitely one of those moments where I realized that the holidays are not a special, celebratory, magical time for everyone. And when I hear other educators saying to really look out for students who may not be real happy and may be even depressed during the holiday season, that's where my mind went to. And it just really made me think twice about conversations I have with students, of course, building and maintaining relationships with students 
to get to know them better and know what they're dealing with. But most importantly, just to be super respectful of everyone and understand that everyone is dealing with something at one time or another and that we just need to be there to support them and help them through it. So thanks again for sticking with me here in this episode. Look out for a great episode next week with my good friend and another fellow podcaster, AJ Bianco. I appreciate you very much and I'll see you next time. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Also, if you enjoy the content shared on the show, please recommend this podcast to other educators, leaders, friends, or anyone you think would love listening and learning. I would also appreciate it if you would leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or whatever podcast app you use to listen. For more information about me or this show, head over to leaderoflearning.com. While you're there, you can also find the Leader of Learning blog, how to connect on social media such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Voxer, sign up for our newsletter, and even find out how to purchase Leader of Learning merchandise. Thanks again, and remember, no matter who you are or where you are, you too can be a leader of learning.